is Jesus Christ that fills us with peace and joy and satisfies our soul. I hope you find that, you experience that this morning. Later in this service, we're going to be sharing in the Lord's Supper, and that's a time when we can reflect on all Christ has done and find that deep down satisfaction in knowing that our good and gracious God has saved us through him. Amen? Amen. We're going to pass the offering plate this morning. I know it's been a long, long time. It's been two years. And you have been faithful, and I want to thank you for that. But we're going to begin doing that once again. And I've got to tell you, this church is so generous and has been for so many years. It's one of the things that Well, if God would forgive me, I feel a little pride about. I feel proud of our church and how it does so much to reach out to people in the community. In fact, over a million dollars a year is given to people in the community, ministries in the community, across Texas, in the United States, and around the world from this church. Over a million dollars a year. Did you know that? I don't think we say a lot about it because it's not about us. It's about the Lord and we want to give as unto the Lord. But I do think it's important for everyone here to know that as you give, it makes a difference. So to give you just one small example of that, the Rohingya people from Myanmar, now in the largest refugee camp in the world in Bangladesh, a persecuted people. World Mission has been ministering to the Rohingya people. It's a Muslim people, and they have been seeking to bring the gospel to them. Well, our International Missions Committee committed $10,000 to support them. Now, that's a small portion. That's out of that million that goes out. That's just $10,000. But what a remarkable, what a remarkable ministry it is. So that $10,000 has gone toward bringing of humanitarian aid, food, clothing to 140 families, and also funded and distributed 140 solar-powered audio Bibles. The Rohingya people are, many of them, hearing the gospel for the very first time. In the last five months, they've world mission that is ministering among them. They've seen 265 people make decisions for Jesus Christ. 126 have been baptized. Seven churches have been started. And we have a small part to play in that. And that could be multiplied many times over for various ministries. So I just want to say that because it's a thank you. It's a thank you. And I want you to know that as you give, God uses your gifts in remarkable ways, both in our community and around the world. Would the ushers come and would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you that we have the opportunity to serve in your work, Lord, to spread good news, the good news that's changed our lives, we can share that good news with others. And we do pray for the Rohingya people. We pray, Lord, for their salvation. May thousands and thousands come to Christ. May hundreds of churches be started. May the political situation change 
that this persecuted people might thrive, Lord. We pray your blessings upon them. And Lord, may you bless everyone here who has, has given, everyone who has desired to give, even if they've not been able to. Lord, we thank you that we can be part of that. And we commit our gifts to you now. In the name of Jesus, amen.
Wow, that was amazing. So you're waiting for the orchestra and choir to step off. They're not going to step off this morning. So if you see them nodding off, <laughs> you let me know. They're all watching. <laughs> Appreciate so much having the orchestra, having the choir, and all the singers lead us in worship every week. It means so very much. And I was struck how the words of the songs we sang uh, this week really fit so perfectly with what I want to say leading into the observance of the Lord's Supper today. Some years ago, Linda and I went to Washington, D.C. and walked through the World War II Memorial. How many of y'all have been to the... Okay, quite a few of you have. You know what I'm about to describe. <laughs> it's an emotional experience. We walked through the memorial read some of the inscriptions there, and I don't know how many times I choked up reading those inscriptions. It was like this flood of emotion kept coming over me, surge after surge. I was so deeply aware of the sacrifices that had been made by men and women before I was ever born. And I realized that my life had been affected for the better. In fact, my life depended on the sacrifices made by so very many. So I hope it doesn't sound contrived or corny or anything like that when I say I walked away from there wanting to be a better man. Not because, not because I was instructed I should be a better man, but because I realized what had been done for me. That memorial reminded me of that sacrifice, and I wanted to live up to that sacrifice, to be worthy of it. Maybe you've experienced something very, very similar to that. So when we talk about the Lord's Supper, we are talking about a memorial meal. That World War II memorial reminds us of the past. The Lord's Supper reminds us of what Christ has done for us. And in the most familiar passage, the one we read most often for the Lord's Supper, that's very, very clear. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When we share the Lord's Supper, it is a memorial reminding us of what Christ has done for us. That as the Father for all time had borne on his heart the burden of our sins, so Jesus Christ came and bore our sins on Calvary. And from that cross where he gave up his life, where he sacrificed everything, from that cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Now that kind of sacrifice 
should move us, should stir us to live better lives, to be more faithful to Christ, to follow God more earnestly, not because we have to, but because it's fitting, because we're stirred and we're moved. And so this morning, as we consider what Christ has done, we consider how much has been given, and from that, by the grace of God, may we live different lives. May we live different lives. But remember, it is a memorial meal. It's not a commitment meal. It's us remembering what Christ has done, not us saying, okay, Lord, this is what I'm going to do for you. And sometimes we get that confused. And that's why instead of coming to the Lord's Supper with deep gratitude and joy, Too many people come with guilt and shame. There are many Christians, some of them, no doubt, sitting in this room right now, that when they take the Lord's Supper, they're reminded of all their mistakes, all their sins, and they feel it, they feel it not as a reminder, a memorial of what Christ has done, but a reminder of all they have done. And it's difficult for them to find freedom. Maybe it's difficult for you. Many years ago, a young man came to see me. I don't remember his name. I'll just call him Stephen. He grew up in church, but as he told me his story there in my office, it was a story of alcohol and drug abuse. In fact, he was in trouble with the law for forging physician script. He had a court date set not long after our meeting. He said that he had been, become addicted to drugs as a teenager and he hadn't been able to break free and he wanted desperately to break free. He had stopped going to church because his family was prominent in the church and he was ashamed of himself and he felt like his family had to be ashamed of him as well and so he just dropped out. I asked him more about his faith and he did believe in God and he believed in Christ and he had had experience of giving his life to Christ. He shrugged his shoulders at one point saying, for all the good it did me. That wasn't an accusation against God. That wasn't the spirit in which he said it. It was an accusation against himself. Like God's grace had been wasted on him. I said, Stephen, where do you go to church? He said, I don't go to church. And I did the preacher thing. I started telling him, well, you know, you really need, as you move forward, to worship God with other believers week by week. That's part of moving forward in your life. That's not all you need to do, but that is something that you ought to do. And as I was talking, I could tell it wasn't getting through at all. I stopped and I said, you're not going to go, are you? He shook his head, no. Why not? I'll never forget what he said. He said, I respect God too much to darken the doors of a church. See, it's not that he didn't believe in God. It's not even that he didn't, in a certain sense, believe in Christ and that Jesus was the savior of the world. He even, to some extent, believed the gospel. He believed that sinners could come to God and find new life in Jesus Christ, where they put their faith in Jesus Christ. What he had trouble believing was that someone who had put their faith in Christ, who had professed to be a follower, 
but then lost their way. He had trouble believing that person could find mercy. The way Stephen saw it is, how could God have anything to do with me after all that I've done? He's done so much and I've squandered it all. I respect God too much to mock him with my presence at church. Isn't that something? See, he had faith, but it was a faith that had been darkened to a terrible misunderstanding. A terrible misunderstanding. And not, uh, rather than a full grasp of the significance of the gospel, he had this surface understanding, and he had things exactly backward. I opened a Bible, and I read this passage to him from Romans 5, starting in verse 8. Listen to this. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, get this, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Now, Paul says a lot there, but what I want you to notice is that he takes up the problem that Stephen felt, but he reverses the conclusion. Stephen's thinking, I'm a believer. I, I confess Jesus Christ, and then I get lost in drug addiction. How could God now have anything more to do with me? But what Paul says is the opposite. If God loved even his enemies and sent Jesus Christ to redeem them, how much more will he save through his life those who've been reconciled? That is, those who are believers. It's not that God says, oh, well, you know, you've had your chance and you've squandered it. On the contrary, God looks at you and says, here is my child. I love my enemies, but here is my child. How much more will God then bring forgiveness and sustenance and grace to that person? Does that make sense? He reverses it because now you have been reconciled. This is an amazing thing about God's love. First, Paul talks about justification. That's a big word that comes from the court of law where someone is pronounced not guilty by the judge. The penalty is removed. We have been justified through Jesus Christ. But Paul also says we have been reconciled. We were enemies of God, not necessarily consciously enemies, but we were living lives that were so contrary to God's will and ways that we were as if it were on opposite sides from him. Our backs were turned to God. But what Paul makes clear is God's back was never turned to us. Even the worst of sinners, God turns toward them and sends Jesus Christ to bear their sins. And so God reconciles his enemies. 
Paul never says that God is reconciled to his enemies. He says God reconciles the enemy back to himself. Do you get the difference there? We're the ones with our back turned, not God. God doesn't have to turn to us. We have to turn back to God because God is there extending mercy toward us. That's an astonishing fact. And God does that for people who don't know him, don't love him at all. How much more will God do that for you because you're his child? How much more? Paul says, in response to all this, we now boast in God through Jesus Christ. Earlier in Romans, he says that no one should boast of their own righteousness. He talked about very religious people who were boasting of their own righteousness before God. They thought that they could could be confident of their salvation because of the life he lived. And he said, they lived. He said, don't ever boast before God. But now he says, you can boast but you boast in God and what God has done through Jesus Christ. You can celebrate. That's what the word boast in Greek denotes, that you are boasting, you are celebrating. You know how when you go to a Baylor football game, a touchdown is scored, and you see the the universal sign of rejoicing in the stands? (laughs) It's funny how that is, isn't it? Everybody throws up their arms. And what's really hilarious this, this, this never ceases to make me laugh. Everybody throws up their hands, and what do we do? Everyone turns to the people around them and high-fives them. We did it! We did it! High-five all around. As if anybody in the stands had anything to do with it. You know? I mean, it's like, we didn't do anything. We watched the team do something. We didn't do anything. But we so identify with the team, we so rejoice in what they're doing, we we own it as our own, and we're congratulating each other with high fives all around. Paul is saying that God has done something in Jesus Christ to save us. We didn't do anything, but we're part of it by the grace of God. And so we boast, we rejoice, We celebrate, high five, all the way around because of what God has done for us. Now, you know, with deep emotions, they're not usually expressed that way, that exuberantly. The deeper emotions usually are celebrated or or felt more quiet, in a more quiet fashion. So it's not like when people go forward to share the Lord's Supper that they're throwing up their hands and high-fiving each other. That would be no more appropriate than when you go to the World War II Museum or Memorial and you, you call to mind the sacrifice that others have made. You are deeply moved and deeply touched and, and you feel this connection with what they've done. That's a holy moment and you wouldn't celebrate it the way you would at a football game, but you still recognize something has been done for you. And that's, that's what it's like with the Lord's Supper. Stephen, after I talked with him, uh, he came to church and at the end of the service, he came forward and just kneeled right there at the front and his body was just shaking as he wept. His wife came down and kneeled next to him with his, her arm around him and prayed with him. And others then came around. And after, 
After the service was over, he stood and he looked like a different person. He looked like a different person. He wasn't high-fiving anyone. He was weeping. And yet there was this unloading of a burden, unloading of a burden, realizing that God had done something for him. He couldn't do anything except turn back to the God who offered him salvation. You notice at the end of this passage I read, Paul says, that through him we've received the reconciliation. It's a gift. In other words, God's taken care of it. All the obstacles have been removed. There's nothing for us to do but to accept what he has done. And that's what I want to ask you to do this morning when you go forward. It's not time to call to mind all your failings and all your sins. Don't have so small a view of God that you think it's all about you. Instead, it's about what God has accomplished in Christ. Let that be your focus. And then you walk away from this memorial meal with a deeper desire than ever before to be faithful to God. Absolutely. But not because you've you've made some fresh commitment that you're going to finally get it right before God. No, 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 no. It's instead because it's the only fitting response when you reflect on all that God has done for you. Are you worthy to receive the Lord's Supper? Well, yes and no. Yes and no. No, you're not. I'm not. None of us are. We're all sinners. But yes, in that this meal is for sinners. And whenever we eat and drink, we remember what the Lord did for sinners. Amen. Would the deacons come forward and I want you to pray with me? Would you do that? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have poured out your life for us. We're mindful that we could never save ourselves, but you have saved us. You have intervened on our behalf. You have borne our sins that we might be free. And so as we share in these elements, oh God, we don't pretend that that our lives are all in order, but we have faith in you, our good and gracious God. And we thank you for this time that we share today. Amen. We're going to do things just a little differently this morning. So we have stations where we're asking that people come up and to receive the elements. The way it will work is like this. We'll have deacons go to various sections and release you to go and to to share in the bread and the cup um, at that time they'll point you to the station where you will go. And when you reach 
the station, you will be told with the bread, this is the body of Christ. And when the cup is offered, this is the blood of Christ. Powerful, powerful words of reminder. Reminding us of what Christ has done for us. Now, some of you may find it difficult to get up and come to a station, and that's fine. If you'll simply, you know, raise your hand, the deacon who's releasing people, they will share the, the elements with you right then. So you don't have to worry about that. But I think even though it's different, I think you'll find if you come with an open heart that it's a meaningful and powerful way to share the Lord's Supper. What we're going to do is practice it in a form that's known as intinction. It's an ancient way that the church often has observed the Lord's Supper. You'll take the bread and you'll dip it in the cup and then take the two together. Go ahead and eat immediately. You come, you take the bread, you dip it, you eat, and then you go back to your seat. Sometimes couples might want to stand together. If, if it's a family and you want to all eat together, then we just ask that you go ahead and step to the side so that others can come forward and then you can share it. Everything might not go perfectly smoothly. Uh, this is the first time we've done this in a service, uh, this morning service. But let's let God work in each one of our hearts. As you come forward, come with your head high. You are the redeemed of the Lord. Come with faith in Jesus Christ and leave in joy knowing that you have a Savior. Amen.